Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 68 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. Today's show is a change to the scheduled events. We were going to be talking about wireless charging in this week's episode, but the government's announcement of the ban of fossil fuel cars in the UK from 2030 has prompted a different discussion. Yes, it's Myths and Legends, the sequel. Before we start, I wanted to tell you that next week will be the episode I've been working on for a little while, the discussion with the charge point operators. I've spoken with Osprey, formerly Ingenie, and BP Charge Master, and asked them some questions about why they put charges where they do, why they put one instead of two or more, and why they've chosen the pricing models that they have. It's a very interesting discussion, and I advise you to uh, have a quick listen to that when it is released. Patreons can listen to that episode from Friday of this week, Everyone else gets to listen to it next Monday. The very first episode that was ever released on this podcast was called Myths and Legend. It covered some of the main topics of conversation that were trotted out whenever people were arguing against electric cars. You know the old chestnuts. The batteries will last three years, then need replacing at huge cost, and you can't drive them in the rain. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, the link is in the show notes. But since the announcement last week of the ban of new car sales with fossil fuel engines from 2030, there have been a whole list of different arguments that the sceptics have put up on social media. I wanted to address these now and highlight those that are valid and those that are not. You can be 100% certain that there are people in the fossil fuel segment that have a vested interest in making sure this doesn't happen, and they'll be pushing forward a narrative which will include a number of the points I want to cover today. This is how you fight against that misinformation. Now remember, the government is talking about banning the sale of new fossil fuel cars here. We're not talking about banning the sale of any fossil fuel cars. So this is mainly aimed at fleets, at companies, and those people who like to buy a brand new car every couple of years. If you only buy second-hand cars, or if you intend to run your current diesel Nissan Qashqai into the ground and take another 10 years to do it, that's fine. This doesn't apply to you. So what's the first argument that's going to be made? Well, it's going to be the infrastructure isn't ready. Former podcast guest Young EV Driver was interviewed by local TV news and was quoted as saying that the infrastructure isn't ready. Now, unfortunately, that's a little misleading. No, the infrastructure is not ready now to accommodate the large number of new electric vehicles that will be on the road in 2030. But we have nine years to make it ready. There are currently 20,197 public charging points in the UK in 12,724 locations, according to ZapMap. Companies like Podpoint, Osprey, BP Chargemaster have ambitious plans to roll out literally thousands of new chargers over the next 10 years. Osprey has funding to put 2,000 rapid chargers in, and BP Chargemaster will look to add something in the region of 4,000. And that's just two of the main players in this area. The government has also committed to spending £1.3 billion in implementing new charge points, presumably a mix of rapid charges for quick boosts and some of the slower charges for grazing. We'll come back to grazing in a little while. So the next argument is going to be, if everybody plugs in, then the grid will collapse. No, it won't, uh, for several reasons. Firstly, not everybody will plug in at the same time. As has already been established in previous episodes, 40% of houses in the UK don't have off-street parking, so plugging in for them is not an option. This means, in reality, that only 60% of the people buying new EVs will be plugging in at some point to charge. But 
in much the same way as all the 30-odd million cars in the UK don't head to the petrol station at the same time now, these EVs won't all be charging at the same time. In our episode on the Kia e-Niro, owner Andrew Till told us... It just keeps going for ages. I mean, I don't have to charge it for two weeks, you know, doing the, doing the school run. As I said, that's 24 miles a day. We're doing that. And it's all done from his home charger. And that's not unusual. I can go about a week without charging and I've only got a car with 105 miles of range. With newer cars, the longer ranges mean that the length of time between charges becomes greater. Secondly, the National Grid have said they're happy that the grid can cope. I mean, Coronation Street mid-episode break causes a huge surge and that doesn't seem to be an issue as people pop the kettle on for a cup of tea. Uh, Yeah, there might be some local infrastructure that needs upgrading, but the government will help fund that and the power companies have nine years to put that in place. The corollary to this argument is, well, we'll need to build 10 new power stations to cope with the increased power that's needed. No, we won't, because there will be a drop in the amount of energy needed overall because we'll stop refining as much oil into petrol. At the moment, we already have underutilisation of the grid at night when companies like Octopus Energy will actually pay you to use the power they can't get rid of. If the grid is overstretched, how can this happen? Finally, on this subject, the addition of new EVs to the grid will also bring on the ability of vehicle-to-grid charging to come into play and help level the load on the grid overnight. So, the next argument is going to be that one about batteries. Yeah, we're going to have to get a whole load of new batteries and dispose of the old ones is not a very green thing. Yes, it is. In fact, recycling of batteries is super important for the whole EV life cycle. This whole canard of batteries lasting three years then needing to be replaced is such abject nonsense that it's actually causing a problem for the recycling industry. There are companies out there that can recycle batteries and turn well over 90% of the recycled components back into new batteries. But there are so few batteries available for recycling that they're having to use ones that have been picked out of old hybrids and crashed vehicles to actually test the process. Remember too that batteries don't go from the car to the dump. They go from a car to a second life usage to a recycler. Second life usage is is putting batteries into things like home storage solutions or using them to store power from a portable generator, things like this. This extends the life of the battery and reduces the amount that get recycled. Obviously, as more EVs come onto the road and more accidents will happen, we'll see more batteries available for recycling, so the cycle will continue. Yeah, but Gary, people with no off-street parking won't be able to charge. Yeah, that's right. That is 100% right. But why is that a problem? At this exact moment in time, nobody with a fossil-fueled car can fill their car at home. But that doesn't seem to be a problem. So why is not having a home charger an issue? Co-founder of the podcast, Simon, has just finished his third year of living with an electric car in a flat that has no ability to charge. And he has no problem topping his car up. There are numerous options for this. With EVs, as we've said before, grazing is the way to charge. For example, you put your car on charge when you go shopping. Tesco has charge points at hundreds of its larger stores. Morrisons are served by Genie Point Rapids. Aldi and Lidl have teamed up with Podpoint to provide charging at their stores. Many big shopping centres have added EV charging to their car parks. Charge while you're at the gym. Ballantines have Instavolt chargers. Charge while you're watching a movie. Go to somewhere like Oxford and charge in their park and ride car park while you spend the day in the city. 
Tesla destination chargers are also pretty widespread and available for all EVs that have the right connector. And then if you absolutely must charge overnight, find a local fast charger and spend 15 minutes there. Petrol stations will also be places you can stop and charge. BP Chargemaster is already rolling out high-speed chargers at the petrol stations it owns and operates. Shell has chargers at many of its forecourts, and it wouldn't surprise me if one of the other top four charge point operators moves into that arena shortly. There are many, many options. It's just that they require people to think a little bit more than they do at the moment, which I agree could be a bit of a problem. But the majority of charging for those without off-street parking is going to be at work. As the rollout continues, companies will start to put fast charges in their car parks. You arrive at work, plug in, and when you leave at the end of the day, your car will be full. The government will help this, and as a large proportion of the new car purchases are company cars, it really makes sense that this is going to happen. So let's come on to the old one about cost. Electric cars are too expensive, nobody can afford them. Not true. We've done an episode on this before, but the basic logic is... A £30,000 electric car costs exactly the same as a £30,000 petrol car. Remember, we're talking brand new cars here, not a second-hand car or, you know, a runaround that you've just purchased from somebody that you know. I did the maths and realised that the lease on my Kia Soul is way less per month than the loan I would need to take out to buy a similarly specced Honda CRV fossil fuel vehicle. The majority of the vehicles that this applies to are going to be company cars, or fleet vehicles, and bulk purchasing of vehicles will bring the price down. I worked in the taxi trade for a while, and I know for a fact that if you're ordering 200 Nissan Leaf 40 kilowatt hours, you can get them for a lot less than the retail price to the public. Also, as Robert Llewellyn mentioned in his recent Peugeot E208 review video, the one thing that people tend to forget is that if a company produces a car that has, um, has both an EV variant and an ICE variant, the EV is always more expensive than the ICE variant. However, the EV is always a much higher specced car than the ICE version. Comparing the base price petrol version with the electric is apples and oranges. Having said that, the electric Mini is already cheaper than the Cooper S it's based on, so you're comparing like for like in that case. Furthermore, absolute price parity for EVs is expected within the next couple of years when battery prices drop below $100 per kilowatt hour. And the UK government is going to be providing grants of about £580 million for people to buy electric cars, which is also something they already do in progressive countries like Scotland. By the time the ban comes into place, the price issue will have almost virtually disappeared. The final argument you'll likely hear is this one. I need to carry two cords of wood and a snowmobile 600 miles without stopping and there isn't an electric car made that can let me do that. I know it sounds stupid, but that's an example of uh, something I found on Canadian Twitter as an argument about why electric cars won't work. It basically means that there's always an edge case being put forward for where an EV is the wrong car. And they're extrapolating that to mean that because this edge case won't work, it won't work in general. Just for your information, a cord is, roughly speaking, enough wood to put into a six foot by four foot trailer and stack it about four foot high. And yes, there will be people for whom an electric car will not work at the moment. People wanting to tow heavy trailers or sit more than six people with luggage or business reps who do 500 miles a day driving and don't have enough time to stop and charge. Although I think that's unlikely and quite possibly dangerous. But in 10 years time, with the rate of change of technology, 
the number and variety of EVs on the road will be much, much greater than it is today. The variety today is much, much greater than it was even five years ago. Back then, you basically had Tesla, Nissan and Renault making EVs. The Nissan and the Renault were small with a moderately limited range. And this year alone, we've had new cars announced or released from Peugeot, Honda, MG, Vauxhall, Volkswagen, Mazda, Mini, Polestar, Porsche and Skoda. These range from small city cars to supercars to SUVs to family cars to estate vehicles. The market will start to open up and manufacturers have 10 years to start to meet that market and produce the cars that are needed. The technology is there, it just needs to be put into place. It must be said, however, that there are going to be challenges with this goal. The timeline's tight and there are obstacles that will need to be overcome. One obstacle is political lethargy. The targets and policies put in place by this government could quite easily be rolled back, altered or delayed by a subsequent government. That's the price to pay for democracy. But hopefully people will see the benefit and future prime ministers will keep pushing forward with this despite lobbying on behalf of the fossil fuel uh, market. Another obstacle, like it or not, is Brexit. As we have limited manufacturing capability in the UK at the moment for electric cars, any future trade deals will need to ensure that foreign cars can be imported into the country without massive tariffs which will make them uneconomical. Mind you, that's not just an EV issue. All vehicles manufactured abroad will be subject to tariffs without a trade deal. And the vast majority of cars that UK buyers are buying today, and will be buying up until 2030 and beyond, will be manufactured in countries such as Germany, Korea, America and China, rather than the UK. Another key factor in making all this work is implementing renewable sources of energy. The government has committed to funding lots of offshore wind to provide the power for these vehicles. But making sure these projects are approved, commissioned and implemented on time can be a challenge. Likewise, solar panels, solar farms and onshore wind often find opposition from NIMBYs who don't want things like that being built near where they live. On the other hand, you have companies like Ripple Energy who are crowdsourced funding for a wind farm to be built in which you get cheap electricity as part of your investment. There are solutions. They just need the government to put them in place. On a day-to-day basis, one main issue is charger reliability. Many of us have horror stories about chargers that weren't working. Uh, Green Car Review, uh, a website, recently drove 400 miles in a Honda E, which has a real-world range of around 100 miles. And this provided yet further evidence for them that the rapid charge point provision at motorway service stations, for example, is simply not fit for purpose. Out of the four motorway service stations that were visited, the rapid charging points at two weren't working. And in all of the charging locations, various non-battery electric cars were parked, i.e. blocking charging in some of the bays. They were iced. James Coes from James and Kate recently visited the Instavolt charger at Bambley. Eight chargers, none of which would accept any of the methods of payment he presented. Plus he spent 40 minutes trying to get through to the helpline without success. But... As you'll hear in next week's episode, where I chat with the charge point operators themselves, it's not in their best interest to have non-working chargers. New units, better software and more remote reset capabilities will reduce this issue in future. That's just the way things are going to go. And again, we have another nine years in which to get these new units in and make sure that these teething troubles are removed completely. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with the listeners. If ever there was an item that it's perfectly into this segment of being a cool EV or renewable thing, it's this. Pay-as-you-go solar TV. That's right, solar TV. It's been trialled in Kenya by a company called Azuri Technologies. 
The principle is quite simple. For a down payment and a fixed monthly fee, you get the following. A 32-inch flat panel TV with a solar panel to power it and a battery to store energy from the solar panel. Two high-power tube lights, two spotlights, a rechargeable radio, a rechargeable torch, USB phone charging, and a subscription to the Zuku Smart Package, which offers over 55 channels, including all local content, plus the Edu channel featuring the national curriculum content, BBC and National Geographic documentary channels, movies, music, and religious programs. How much does it cost? The solar TV comes at an upfront price of 8,999 Kenyan shillings, which is about $83, followed by 129 Kenyan shillings, or $1.18 per day for 30 months. After those 30 months, the system is unlocked and all additional power is free of charge. In some places in Kenya, 80% of homes don't have access to electricity. So a package like this, which offers light, power, a radio, TV, and a battery, the impact's incredible and it allows people access to information and resources they wouldn't normally have. Pay as you go, solar TV. Fantastic. And that's your show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast and the newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited, or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library, please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he's always dreamed of living in one of those MTV crib style places with a pool, games room, cinema, and a garage that holds loads of cars. I said to him, you've got an i3 and an Eastgate. Well, why do you want a big garage? He said he's looking to fill it with any car he can get his hands on. Peugeot, Honda, MG, Vauxhall, Volkswagen, Mazda, Mini, Polestar, Porsche, and Skoda. Thanks for listening. Bye.